Greetings and salutations in the name of our Lord. I hope you're having a wonderful day. This is Paige. And we are closing in on the last few uh, chapters of John's Gospel. We're getting to a very, very, very uh, action-packed, if you will, part of the story of Jesus. And I got to tell you, um, I was fascinated by what I read today because uh, I've never looked into the trial of Jesus before. Um, I'd heard rumors and read things here and there that it was pretty much a kangaroo court and uh, all that. But uh, I actually did some research last couple days and came up with some pretty fascinating stuff. And believe it or not, there's lessons for today that come out of this. So what I'm going to do is uh, I I needed to use all my slides to tell the story about his trial, uh, you know, about what made his trial illegal. So I'm just going to read chapter 18 to you. So let's get started. Chapter 18, John's Gospel, New International Version. When he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was a garden, and he and his disciples went into it. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place, because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the garden, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. That's an important point. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, Who is it that you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, he said. And Judas, the traitor, was standing there with them. And when Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and they fell to the ground. Again, he asked them, Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they said. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. If you're looking for me, then let these men go. This happened so that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those that you gave me. Kind of cool here. Jesus keeps the attention on himself in order to let his disciples get away. Because this is a very dangerous, dangerous moment. It's in the middle of the night. There's armed men. They've come for him. And uh, it's not just him that's been causing trouble. It's been his disciples too. So Jesus brings the focus back on himself makes himself the focus of everything that's going on. In fact, Jesus is taking charge of this. These armed men and Judas are not in charge of the situation. Jesus is. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Then the detachment of soldiers with this commander and the Jewish officials, Jewish officials, religious community, they arrested Jesus. They bound him and brought him first to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. Caiaphas was the one who had advised Jewish leaders that it would be good if one man died for the people. Now, Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus. Because this disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. But Peter had to wait outside the door. The other disciple, who was known to the high priest, came back, spoke to the servant girl on duty there, and brought Peter in. 
You aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? She asked Peter. He replied, I'm not. It was cold and the servants and officials stood around a fire they had made to keep warm. Peter also was standing with them, warming himself. Now, meanwhile, the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. I spoke openly to the world, Jesus replied. I always taught in synagogues or at the temple where all the Jews come together. I said nothing in secret. Why question me? Ask those who heard me. Surely they know what I said. When Jesus said this, one of the officials nearby slapped him in the face. Is this the way you answer the high priest? He demanded. If I said something wrong, Jesus replied, testify as to what is wrong. But if I spoke the truth, why did you strike me? Then Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. I got to stop right here real quick. Normally speaking, when you were appointed high priest, you were high priest for the duration of your life. But when Rome had taken over, they allowed them to appoint a new high priest every year. So that's why Annas and Caiaphas were both called the high priest because they both were. It's just that Caiaphas was a guy sitting on the seat, the throne, if you will, of the high priest at this year. But Annas, his father-in-law, had been a previous high priest. And still apparently had some pull and some influence. So that's why they called Annas high priest and Caiaphas the high priest. Meanwhile, Simon Peter was still standing there warming himself. So they asked him, you aren't one of his disciples too, are you? He denied it saying, I am not. And one of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him, didn't I see you with him in the garden? Again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, a rooster began to crow. Now, isn't that amazing? Then the Jewish leaders took Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. By now, it was early morning. And to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, they did not enter the palace because they wanted to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate came out to them and asked, what charges are you bringing against this man? If he were not a criminal, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you. He said, Pilate said, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. But we have no right to execute anyone. This is an important point. We're going to come back to that in a second. But we have no right to execute anyone, they objected. This took place to fulfill what Jesus had said about the kind of death he was going to die. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus and asked, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus says, is that your own idea? Or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate replied, your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it that you've done? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? retorted Pilate. But this he went out to the Jews, gathered there and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. But it is your custom for me to release you to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? 
They shouted back, no, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now, Barabbas had taken part in an uprising. All right, let's take this whole trial thing apart. I'm going to start at the end first, where Pilate was questioning him. Now, the Jewish leaders hand him over to Pilate. And if you read other gospels accounts of the trial, you discover that uh, they originally came after Jesus for blasphemy, claiming to be the son of God. In fact, during the trial, the high priest rent his garments and says, no, we've, we've heard enough. You know, it's blasphemy. So they were accusing Jesus of blasphemy. But yet when they brought him to Pilate, the charge wasn't blasphemy anymore. It was treason. Other gospels share that uh, they said that Jesus said uh, he, that we don't need to pay taxes to Caesar, something to that effect, and that he claims to be a king. We have no king but Caesar. Um, and by doing that, they were throwing him into Pilate's realm of judgment, which would make the decision to kill Jesus the Romans' fault, not the Jews' fault. Can you see how convoluted the thinking is here? All right. Now, let's go back to the beginning here. And let's just go through a few reasons why this trial was bogus. Jesus was arrested illegally. Notice that those who were involved in Christ's arrest included the priests and elders, his judges. Remember it says up here in the beginning? Let's see, go back up here. Judas came to the garden guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. In other words, Sanhedrin. Members of the Sanhedrin were there. Those are the ones who tried Jesus. Notice that those who were involved in Christ's arrest included the priests and elders, his judges. Among them were also the very ones who had bribed Judas. Remember, Judas was paid 30 pieces of silver for this act. Moreover, Jesus was arrested secretly at night. He was not arrested on the formal charge of any crime. There was no charge presented. There was no warrant for his arrest, no statement of what he had done. They just came and took him. Next, this, it was a private night proceeding. It says here that there is some research. The French twin brothers, Augustine and Joseph Lemon, stated in their book, Jesus Before the Sanhedrin, no session of the court was to take place before the offering of the morning sacrifice. Every morning there'd be a sacrifice to begin the day. So nothing could happen at night. It had to happen during the day. No night meetings were permitted. The law, the law allowed such an investigation only upon daylight. So you can see right away, this is, there's nothing legal about what's happening to Jesus. Next. The trial of Jesus was illegal because it was concluded in one day. The Jewish law states a criminal case resulting in the acquittal of the accused may terminate the same day in which the trial began, but if a sentence of death is to be pronounced, it cannot be concluded before the following day. In other words, you needed two days to make this happen. This was to allow sufficient opportunity for any witnesses in support of the accused to present themselves, but the court did not allow Jesus this opportunity. Hmm. The condemnation of Jesus by part of the Sanhedrin was illegal because those who might have voted against his condemnation were not there. We see at the end, uh, 
when they were burying Jesus, there's a man named Joseph that shows up. And it's said of Joseph that he did not agree with what had happened. Well, there was Joseph, there was Nicodemus who had stood up for Jesus. Apparently, there was nobody there to support Jesus in this uh, kangaroo court. And that can only tell you that they only had people who were willing to kill Jesus show up. It was at night. It was illegal. And they left out anybody who might have supported Jesus. Which by Jewish law, he had to have somebody there to support him and to defend him. A verdict against Jesus was simultaneous and unanimous. Although the law required at least one of the counsel to serve as a defense counsel. But no one did. Kind of like what we were talking about earlier. It's interesting to note which members of the Sanhedrin were apparently missing during the trial. After Jesus was crucified, we read, Now behold, there was a man named Joseph, a council member of the Sanhedrin, a good and just man. He had not consented to their decision indeed. You find that in Luke's gospel. Since the consensus to condemn Jesus was unanimous, Joseph must not have been included in this illegal meeting. Neither is there a record that Nicodemus agreed with the decision. Remember, he said, We know that you're a teacher come from God. Nicodemus was sympathetic to Jesus. Nicodemus would not have uh, would would not have uh, approved of this illegal trial. It seems that the opponents of Jesus wanted to make sure that these two men were not there to defend him. Mm. Next, the sentence against Jesus was pronounced in a place forbidden by law. Now, this is interesting. Jesus was brought into the house of Caiaphas the high priest. The trial of Jesus wasn't even wasn't even held in a court of law. And Lucas says, having arrested him, they led him and brought him into the high priest's house. In our gospel today, let's see here. All right, let's see here. They brought him first to Annas in, I'm reading verse 13, verse 14, who is a father-in-law of Caiaphas. Um, and then later, The high, it talks about the high priest questioning Jesus, and Jesus is at his house. Oh, my goodness. According to Jewish law, a sentence of death can be pronounced only so long as the Sanhedrin holds its sessions in the appointed place. But the court building wasn't legally to be opened until after sunrise. Moreover, according to Jesus before the Sanhedrin, the Talmud states, after leaving the hall, Gazeth, or the court, no sentence of death can be passed upon anyone. A sentence of death could, not be pa- could be passed only in a legal court, not in a private home, as occurred in Jesus' case. He went, they went to Annas, then they went to Caiaphas, then they went to Pontius Pilate. There was no courtroom. There was no court building. Oh. They illegally switched the charges against Jesus from blasphemy to treason. All right, if you put all the gospel accounts together, initially when they brought Jesus in, it was about blasphemy. And But when they brought him for Pilate, they made it about treason to Rome. Blasphemy calls it because he calls himself the son of God. And he told them plainly, what, and they knew what that meant. 
He was calling himself equal with God. And the high priest rent his garments and cried out, we've heard enough. And so originally they were angry. They were bringing in, in front of Caiaphas and Annas and all these, the high priest and the Sanhedrin, the charge was blasphemy. But when they took him to Pilate, they changed the charge from blasphemy to treason. They said, we, he's not our king. He claims to be king. He told, he claimed to uh, uh, speak against giving taxes to Caesar. It's, you know, it, it was totally bogus. They made it treason because that put it into the Roman world. Because when Rome occupied Jew, Jew, uh, Israel, they gave Israel authority to handle religiously based accusations by themselves, which included the death penalty. Now, this is we're going to cover this in a minute. So they could have killed Jesus by stoning, but they chose instead to take him to Pontius Pilate, who's going to kill Jesus by nailing him to a cross and torturing him that way. All right, down here. Now, this addresses the capital punishment aspect. According to the common view today, the right to try capital cases, that is, cases involving death penalties, rested with the Sanhedrin, the high Jewish court of the day. But the actual penalty of death could not be inflicted until the Roman governor, in this case Pilate, had given his sanction. But this view is not totally true. The Jewish authorities not only had the power to try certain crimes, they had the power to convict and execute in all cases except for treason or sedition against Roman authority. Now remember, the Jewish leaders stoned Stephen and Rome didn't interfere. They tried to stone Jesus. They wanted to stone Jesus before Jesus walked away. So they were capable of delivering a death penalty. But they decided not to. Then why did the religious leaders make the statement they did in John 18, where they said, uh, see, let me go back here, verse 31 and 32. Taking your, Pilate said, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. Pilate's saying, look, you, you want to kill him, kill him. But we have no right to execute anyone, they objected. They were, they were lying. Their goal was to put Jesus into, under the authority of the Roman government so that the Roman government would be the ones responsible for killing him. You know, it's amazing to me. It says Jesus died for the sins of the whole world and it took the whole world to kill him, Jews and Gentiles. The Jews wanted him dead. And they used the most unimaginably crooked ways to put him into the hands of the Roman government so the Roman government would kill him, thinking that that would absolve them of the death of Jesus and make it the Romans' fault. The Roman government made sure to know of all matters that had any relation to the public security or the majesty of the Roman Empire. Consequently, he would step in when a charge of treason was made. 
Okay, the charge against Jesus, treason, could only be tried by a tribunal of the governor. Of course, the opponents of Jesus initially accused him of blasphemy, but they did not want to execute him themselves, so the religious leaders had to create charges of treason against Jesus in order to present the case to Pilate. This way, they reasoned, they would not be responsible for his death. That's why they char changed the charges from blasphemy to treason. The other part is, when they were talking with Jesus, he talked sense. They had never been able to trap Jesus with words. The most brilliant minds of the day could not trap this untrained rabbi uh, from Nazareth, from Galilee. And this was no different. Jesus did not respond with uh, anger or vitriol. His response at, when after he slapped him says, "What are you? Why are you striking me? If I've said something wrong, prove it. What have I said that was wrong?" And they had no proof against what he said. They couldn't stand up to him with reason and logic. Their only choice was to turn him over to somebody who could kill him. And that's when they trumped up the charges of treason so that the Roman government would be responsible for killing Jesus. Isn't this amazing? So there you have it. The trial of Jesus, incredibly illegal, incredibly improper. So now the challenge to me, the challenge to me is, <laughs> what lessons for today do I have? Um, what can I pull out of this? Well, first of all, I'm I've always been fascinated at the trial. So you just got a taste of my fascination of the el elements that surrounded this trial of Jesus. But what lesson can I pull from this to apply to my life? You'd think that would be kind of difficult, and it might be. But here are my thoughts. Thinking with my mouth open. Who was responsible for delivering Jesus to be killed? One of the inner circle. First of all, Judas was part of the 12. He was one of the 12. He was somebody who was associated with Jesus, who traveled with Jesus, pretended to be a friend of Jesus. Jesus was betrayed by someone that was close to him. Now, of course, Jesus knew it was going to happen, but that doesn't change the fact that these 12 men who had traveled together, ministered together, uh, and worked together, that one of them betrayed the master. The first thought that comes to mind is that the one that can do the dirtiest deed to you it's almost always someone who you thought was close to you. The one who can do the most damage is not someone, a stranger off the street. It's someone that has had access to you. A friend. Sometimes a family member. So that just seems to be the way, That's again, that's the way the world operates. Uh, the enemy of our soul is the prince of lies, deceit, 
betrayal. So when, when you are betrayed by someone who's close to you, realize that's the way of the world. That's another way the world has at coming after you. Secondly, it was a religious community that came after Jesus. The religious community in cahoots with a secular government. Um, now, we're protected from that for a while here in the United States. But this is not an uncommon story overseas, in other countries, uh, in other nations. Um, Christians are a target for many forces. And we should not be surprised when that happens. In the United States, I see it's possible within several generations, and I've said this before, where the nation politically will become indisposed towards mainstream Christianity. I see large churches being broken up. I see different factions of society coming after Christianity and the churches. I see things that are upside down being called right side up, as C.S. Lewis would say. I see Christians being unjustly accused. It can happen, and it's probably going to happen here in the United States eventually. As good as the intentions of our founding fathers were, this is no longer a Christian nation. It's a nation with some Christians in it. And uh, it's probably not going to go our way in the next several generations. Now, having said that, does that discourage me? No. It happened to Jesus. Why shouldn't it happen to us? And the fact is, this world is not our home. We don't live here. Really, we're just taking up space for a while, doing what we think is best. And our what we do that is best is to represent the king of our world, where we come from. So this trial of Jesus is like a template of, I don't know, I guess I call it um, scenes of a coming attraction. The world does not like us. The world hates us. And the world will do whatever it takes to dispose of us. For a time, we live in peace. And we should take advantage of that. Take this time to fill your heart up with God's word, with God's counsel. Take this time to develop true relationships with, with strong Christians. Take advantage of the time and ability and opportunity we have to fellowship with each other, to lift each other up. Do your best not to fall into the trap of the world of accusing, being angry, demanding rights. We should be totally different than the world around us, and we should give them absolutely no reason to come after us. Now, having said that, know this, eventually they'll come after us. 
Now, I'm 65 years old. It probably won't happen in my lifetime or my children or even my grandchildren's lifetime, perhaps. But I would wager three generations from now, the world will be a far different place. And if they did this to the king, why wouldn't they do that to his subjects? The trial of Jesus, mm, everything about it was wrong. But in the middle of all this, and now I'm going to leave you with this thought, Jesus was not a victim. Jesus took control of the entire situation. He knew they were coming. He let them take him. He knew what they were doing is illegal. And he let them do it anyway. He was in charge. Why? Because he knew they were going to kill him. But then he knew he was going to come up again three days later. He's going to resurrect three days later. He knew that the victory was there. And so what they did to him in the immediate didn't deter him because he knew what the future held. He was the son of God after all. All right, well, that's me. I'm done. Mr. G, I'm out of here. Have a great day. Bye-bye.